Jeremiah is a book written uh, by a man named Jeremiah who was a prophet. Even though this is written to the children of Abraham biologically, spiritually I believe it relates to us because it's a revelation of God's character. What is he like? What does he love? What is he concerned with? And so uh, the portions of scripture I've chosen for today I believe relate to us. We're going to look at chapter 2, then 9, then 24, and then 31. Jeremiah 2, 12 God says, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. And he's about to share a problem that as Christians we can develop even in our own lives. So here is what his concern is. For my people have committed two evils. Can you say two? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. And here's the second evil. And hewn themselves cisterns, that is, containers for storing water, broken cisterns that hold no water. They've forsaken the source of living water, God, and hewn themselves cisterns or created a water retention system that they can rely upon rather than the fountain. As believers, we are called to have a living, vital relationship with Almighty God. Jesus calls us out of darkness into His light. We're called to repent and follow Him. But it is easy by our human nature, our desire, maybe it's pride, maybe it's self-sufficiency or whatever, to not trust Him. Because trusting God takes faith, takes risk, takes hope. It's much more comfortable to have a safety net. It's much more comfortable to have a religion where you can go through the steps and appease your conscience and then go about living life your own way the rest of the week or month or however often you access your religion. It's God's desire that we have a vital daily relationship with Him dependent upon Him. This is why problems create a scenario of blessing because we have to depend upon Him, don't we? But sometimes when things are going great, We can relate on our own ways and allow ourselves to relate to God from a distance. That's like having a cistern to relate on for water. Who loves cool, fresh, clean water directly from the source? Isn't it delicious? Who wants water that's been sitting around in a bucket somewhere, lukewarm with the flies and whatever else? How about water from something broken? That's like nothing, right? That's what his people had done. They had a form of godliness but denied the power. They had developed traditions to appease their conscience, to convince themselves they had a relationship with God when all they had was an empty religion. Now here's a prescription in Jeremiah 9. The prescription is not to depend upon ourselves. Jeremiah 9, 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That's to be the source of our joy, the source of our fulfillment, our glory, our purpose. Our achievement is to understand and know God that I am the Lord exercising 
loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So this is what God likes. He likes humble people who glory in knowing him and understanding him. Now, I don't understand God fully, but I'm on the way to understanding him. This is a calling to pursue knowing God. I don't fully understand my wife, but I understand her a whole lot more than I did 42 years ago when I met her, right? So marriage, relationships is a journey of understanding. If you have just parked yourself at a certain level of understanding, there's more for you in life. In Jeremiah 24, God makes this prediction. So we've seen our problem, his prescription, and his prediction. Then, verse 7, then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. So we've seen the problem, we've seen the solution, but we need some help, don't we? And the help comes from the Lord. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So this is a God-generated thing. My purpose today is hopefully to be an attempt for God to use to give, give you a heart to know him like you've never known him before. Does that mean I have to be weird? No, it doesn't mean you have to be weird. You get to be yourself. Robert Morris says statistically, one out of three people is weird. So look at the person on your right. Look at the person on their left. If neither one of them is weird, no, it's, that's not true. It's one in two. God will give us a heart to know him, but we'll still be ourselves, hopefully growing and maturing. All right, here's God's promise. Seven chapters later, Jeremiah 31. This is an awesome promise. We're here in this room because of the fulfillment of this promise. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Can we say new? New covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will put it in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is fulfilled in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit who he said would lead and guide us into all truth. They shall be my people. Verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The least of us, our children, are actually the greatest of us because they know the Lord easily. Easily. They don't have concepts, inferiorities, complexes, prejudices that prevent them from believing, right? 
But the greatest of us is actually the least of us. We have all these hang-ups that block the way. But who knows, Jesus was hung up for our hang-ups, was he not? Look at this promise, verse 12. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is one thing that prevents our knowing God for ourselves, is sin and the shame it produces. But through what Jesus did on the cross, he did the time, we did the crime, we are blessed, are we not? Chuck Colson was a member of Nixon's administration that went to prison for his crimes. He became a believer in prison. When he got out, he formed a prison ministry called Prison Fellowship that grew and grew and grew and became one of the most highly respected prison ministries in the world. And even though he's gone on to be with the Lord, it's still functioning. And one of their functions was to begin to do prison inspections to give uh, their, their influence for the cause of humanitarian purposes. And it's easy in the world to be cruel to those that are despised and those who are doing time because they did the crime and even those that are doing time because somebody thought they did the crime or somebody lied on them. And one of the prisons they inspected was in South America that had like one of the highest no return, is it called recidivism? One of the best rates in the region. So he went to see what this thing was and found out that a lot of them had become believers. In fact, this prison was so transformed, the man giving him the tour, uh, who was a convicted murderer, the man giving him the tour told him that no one had been in their solitary confinement cells for a long time. Now, how can you punish someone for inappropriate behavior if they're already in prison, right? Throw me in prison. Well, they can put him in solitary confinement by themselves for a long time, and that may cause them to come around. But this prison had been so transformed by the gospel that no one had been in solitary confinement for a long time. So he asked Chuck, would you like to see the solitary confinement cell? He said, yes. So they marched into the middle of the, of the uh, complex, and there stood a building, and in the building was a solitary confinement cell. The trustee, the guard, the, the, the prisoner who was giving him the guide, the guide, not the guard, there is a difference, opened the door, and Chuck stepped in, and he said, I looked up, and there was nothing in the room except a crucifix on the wall. And the voice behind him said, he's in here all the time, doing time for the rest of us. That's the gospel. Now we know Jesus isn't in South America stuck in a solitary confinement cell. But we do understand the principle behind that statement of faith. That Christ, 2,000 plus years ago, did the time for the rest of us, even going into Hades itself fulfill the penalty for sin in himself so that we could go to heaven. He didn't want heaven without us, the song we sang earlier said. He did it. He did the time for the rest of us. And it's for all time. He's in here all the time doing time for the rest of us so that an understanding of that can create such a transformation that a person's released from guilt and anger, and all these things that make people sin. He says, I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, God is omniscient, so there's nothing he doesn't know. 
and he doesn't have a problem with forgetting stuff. If you're like me, you forget stuff, but then you remember it later, right? If God forgot our sins, being omniscient, later on he might could remember it, right? But he chooses to forgive, and he chooses to not remember. I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. He makes a quality decision to not remember our sin. He forgives our iniquity, which is why we sin, our inward motivations, the wickedness within us is forgiven, and the sins, the things we have done, he has chosen not to remember. Now, what's the difference there? Well, he knows we have iniquity, and he's working with us through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about sanctification in our lives, right? So he's not saying, it's okay, baby, you can be bitter and full of prejudice and anger, just don't misbehave. No, he's dealing with us to get rid of those things. But the things we have done, he has chosen to not remember. Mother Teresa was reminded once of something very offensive that had been done to her. And someone brought it up to her. And she said, why did you remind me of that? I clearly remember forgetting that. We're speaking to you today on life's greatest opportunity. Life's greatest opportunity is knowing Almighty God. We've looked at our problem, trying to be independent of God. We create cisterns so we don't need His fountain. God's prescription is in knowing Him, it's important. And his prediction that one day he would give us a heart to know him and his promise, he would give a new covenant, new hearts. No one could tell us, hey, you got to know the Lord because we would know him. My efforts today is just to underline what is happening in your life so you line up with it. You're here for some kind of reason. And I believe that reason is for you to get to know God like never before. Let's look at Jesus' priority. One day in Matthew 16, he, is, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're so-and-so. He said, but who do you say that I am? And verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the anointed one, or literally, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you. You're blessed, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, that is humanity, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. What did the Father do? He gave Peter a heart to know him. And then Jesus reciprocates, I say to you that you are Peter. He knows him according to the name that he gave him. And on this rock, you are Petros in Greek, and on this Petra, larger rock, I will build my church. What is that rock? Is it Peter? No. It's Petra. It's not Petros. It's the rock of relationship. The relationship that is built on revelation that God gives when he gives us a heart to know him. This is priority. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This church will be eternal 
It will live beyond death. Death itself cannot kill it. Hell and his legions cannot destroy it. Let's look at Jesus' prayer. Now, his prayer isn't what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. That's his answer to, Lord, teach us how to pray. Pray like this, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on. You pray for provision, forgiveness of sins, and deliverance from evil, and ends with, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. But what is the Lord's Prayer? It is in John 17. Jesus, before going to the cross, prayed with these words, opened with these words. We won't read the whole prayer, verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. It's time now. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. He's praying for resurrection, right? For you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And what is that eternal life? What is its purpose? Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what life is about. Our mission statement we got from Youth with a Mission, which uh, was uh, delivered to us from our mother church, is knowing God and making him known. I think we officially added to it. Our mission is to know God and to make him known to this generation and beyond in real time. This is what life is about. Knowing him, following him, pursuing him, having a close relationship with him, letting him be Lord, and then spreading that good news to the rest of the world. When we truly get to know him, we then will gain access to his heart for other people. On YouTube is an amazing group of videos about one story that happened in New Guinea. If you go to YouTube and in a little search window, enter EE and then make a space and then T-A-O, E-E, Tao, you'll find different versions of this story as well as dramatic reenactments by the same characters that were part of the story. Years ago, a missionary went to an unreached people group in New Guinea, buried himself in the culture of a village in which he lived and learned their language. And in the process, he began to build what was kind of a, a crude amphitheater, just kind of imagine bleachers with a shade over the sun over it and kind of a V or U shape. And he began, as he was able to communicate, began to teach geography. Started with their village and then the surrounding villages and then their country and then their, their part of the world they were in and then the whole world and then Israel. And then he launched in to the story of the Bible. This process took years. When he got to the story of Jesus, they fell in love with him. It was story time every day for a couple hours. And when Jesus died, they wept. When they realized he, why he died, they were sad. But when they learned that he arose from the dead and is alive today and is coming back again, they began to rejoice to the point that they jumped up and down for over two hours. It's moving to watch. And then they stopped jumping and began to wail and weep. And the missionary thought, what, what's the deal? Why, why the sudden mood change? 
and when he was able to get it out of them, what they were weeping for, they simultaneously were weeping for surrounding people groups that did not know this beautiful story. As they get to know God, they get to know his heart, they have a heart for other people. This is the sign, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The power to be witnesses, the desire, the heart to know him and to make him known. This opportunity is our privilege as believers. The disciple closest to Jesus is John. In his first letter, the last chapter, verse 20, he says these words, We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. In other words, I have come that you may know me. I've come to give you access to the Father. I've come to give you life immeasurable, eternal life, abundant life. So life's greatest opportunity is knowing Almighty God. Do you know him? This is Hubert Humphrey towards the end of 1967. He made a nine-nation tour in 13 days with 60 other people of Africa. Zambia, Congo, Ethiopia, nine nations, including Liberia, where as an 11-year-old boy, I was present. And I remember to this day, 51 years ago, I guess, our family loaded up into Peugeot station wagon and went into the heart of Monrovia City to see our vice president, Hubert Horatio Humphrey. And we got to see him up close. We were thrilled. In fact, he was shaking hands with folks near us, but we didn't get to shake hands with him. He had to move on. Security and his entourage kept things moving. But I got to shake a hand that shook the hand of Vice President Hubert Horatio Humphrey. And if you shake my hand, then you can say, I shook the hand that shook the hand that shook the hand of Hubert Horatio Humphrey. And if someone shakes your hand, they can say, they shook the hand that shook the hand that shook the hand that shook the hand that shook the hand of Hubert Horatio Humphrey. It was kind of a thrill, kind of a patriotic thing, yet kind of empty. That's the way some people are in relating to God. Rather than personally knowing him, they know about him or they know somebody that knew him or knows him or knew somebody that knew God or they read something about knowing God or that's for weird people and they keep God at arm's length trying to drink from broken cisterns. Don't sell out for cheap imitations. Don't try to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps in facing the challenges of life. 
So here we are at the dawn of 2019. Where do you stand with God? James, or brother of Jesus, I would say he knows what he's talking about, wrote in his letter, chapter 4, verse 8, he said, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does that have to do with coming near to God? Well, we allow our sin to keep us from God. Sin does separate us from God, separate us from one another. It tears up relationships, busts up homes, and hinders us in relating to God. Deal with that. Wash your hands. Repent. Receive the forgiveness that's available for, you, for us. And come near to Him. And He, the promise is, will come near to you. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 10, 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How do we draw near? We draw near by dealing with our sin. We draw near by faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. So he's promised us a relationship with himself. We can draw near to him, and we do so by faith. Maybe we don't do that by misinformation, disinformation, unbelief, doubt, fear of disappointment, inferiority or some kind of lie we hold on to or prejudice we hold. Today, I declare those days for you are over. Let this year be the year of knowing God like you've never known Him before. May 2019 be so much better than 2018 because you have a relationship with God that is growing. This is so important, especially in our now 24-7 culture, especially now with so many of us having to travel with our jobs that we will not grow spiritually depending on church attendance old school way. We must grow spiritually by meeting with God every day. And this starts in our hearts. It starts here. Keep your heart with all diligence. The psalmist said, for out of it flow the issues of life. Jesus quoted an Old Testament prophet in Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, talking to the Pharisees, but their heart is far away from me. I'm not talking about getting more religious for the sake of being religious. I'm talking about getting your heart involved in pursuing God. What is your heart in? It's easy to tell. What do you think about? What are you excited about? If the Cowboys win, how does that affect you? If there's some kind of reaction it's related to your heart. It's either up if they win or down if they win because your heart is actually for the other team. So here we are in 2019 today. This is my challenge. A three-point challenge. It comes from knowing God. Here's the three points. His praises his principles, and his peoples. His praises are part of our prayer. We begin prayer with praise. We worship him. In praise, we get our eyes off of ourselves 
and on to greatness. In praise is how we, as the song said, we fight our battles. In praise is how we realize his name is greater than any other thing that is named in creation. And in praise, we encounter an awareness of his presence that we normally do not encounter when we're not praising. And in praising, it actually is fulfillment. We're the kind of worshipers the Father is searching for. Music, unless you hate music, praising God is wonderful. If you hate music, maybe maybe, um, there's something the Lord wants to heal you. But you can praise him even without music. Praise Him with poetry. Praise Him with your journal. Praise Him with your heart is the main thing. Praise Him a cappella. Then His principles, His Word, relating to Him through His Word. Reading our Bibles is so important. Maybe you took off last year reading the Bible all the way through and didn't make it through the first quarter, and you feel kind of condemned about that. Well, I'm here to encourage you today. In your... Bulletin today is a new prayer reading, uh, prayer reading, Bible reading guide, where you keep record of what you've read thus far in your journey, the first quarter, figure out what you read and check off those marks. In your bulletin is a little folder that has a list of all the books of the Bible and the number of chapters each one have. And as you read a chapter, check it off. Keep track of your progress and enjoy reading the Bible. It's not a it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not even a marathon, it's a journey of exploration, of um, discovery. And when you run across things that generate questions in your mind, that's a sign to relate to the peoples of God and gain some understanding from them, as well as to pray, because the Holy Spirit is in our lives to give us understanding, right? I wrote the word peoples because there's different kinds of people. Some of us are weird, some of us are boring, some of us are organized, some of us are, are not so organized. I'll tell you what, you don't want to plan the super organized people to have them plan your parties. You don't want me planning your party, not that I'm the most organized person in the world. But the point is, God uses all kinds of people in our lives to create a people, a community that is following him, that is more like him than ever before. So my challenge to you today is to get to know God in 2019. You may want to quit smoking. You may want to quit speeding. You may want to read 13 books every month. You may want to set all these high standards, but I'm telling you, in your setting, set one that is achievable because he's promised to give us a heart to know him. And this is why church attendance is important. So when you're able to, join with the believers. Step it up another level and come to some midweek Bible studies or even a Sunday night Bible study that's going to be starting up as well. Get to know the Lord and his people. If we love God whom we haven't seen, how can we not love people who are created in his image? Amen? The Church of England... And the Church of Scotland sent leaders, theologians, and laymen together to form some sort of understanding so that they could be more unified. And out of that came, they met in a place called Westminster. Out of that came the Westminster Confession of Faith, a little booklet, the things they believe, and catechism for teaching uh, children 
and new believers about the Christian faith. The catechism is a question and then answer, question and answer. And the shortest abbreviation of all their catechisms is this statement called the Westminster Short Catechism. It's the question, what is the chief end of man? And I close with this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I dare say that as we grow in knowing Him, we will grow in glorifying Him because we will see Him as He is. And we can't help but giving Him praise that is genuine from our hearts. If we relate to Him from a distance for whatever reason, our praise can only go to a certain level and be genuine. Oh, you're our Father, yes. You're our creation, yes. But when you get to know Him, you're my Father, oh man. You have redeemed me. Judson Cornwell, Cornwall was a a great teacher of the Word. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he wrote several books on worship, and he was a pastor. He noticed one of his men in the congregation really didn't worship much. In fact, he was like this through all the services, and he approached him one day and said, man, God is great, isn't he? Yes, he's great, yes. But you, I, I notice you really don't glorify God like with the rest of us. He said, well, it's not my nature. Okay, well, yeah, some of us are weird, some of us aren't, right? Sometime later, he went to a football game with this very man. And when this man's grandson scored a touchdown, he jumped up and said, yes! Judson intentionally sat down and stayed like this. The man looked at him and said, what's wrong with you? We scored, we're winning, what's wrong with you? And Judson said, it's not my nature. It's about the position of our heart. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, men and women, young and old, everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, that 2019 would be a year of personal awakening, of, of individual revival for every person here that we would grow in knowing you like never before. That we would not make excuses, but we would use our disadvantages as reasons to pursue you. Lord, I need your help today. Do that in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name.